uh, we're doing a series on Paul, uh, on his biography, mainly because of the film that's out. And I saw it last night, finally. I saw it at 10 o'clock at night. So, yeah, so it's like fresh in my mind. They did a good job. Uh, it's not going to win any Academy Awards, but it, it's, it, they did a really good job. They did use a lot of artistic license. That means that there's going to be a lot of religious folks that are going to hate it. So there's going to be a lot of haters out there, but that's okay, because they, it did, in my opinion, it got the gist of the gospel message. So I'd say probably about two-thirds of the whole film is not in the Bible, okay? But what is very strong is the amount of scripture that gets quoted. So both Paul and Luke quote a ton of scripture, and it really does get into the heart of, of Paul's message and into the heart of the gospel message. So the whole idea of, of salvation and redemption and forgiveness, it is there. I think it's a beautiful film. I want to encourage you to see that one. Uh, the, what's the other one that's out right now? Uh, I can only imagine. I haven't seen that one yet, but I hear it's good. So I'll probably, I don't know if there's probably some other not-so-good Christian movie that I'll see before I see that one. But um, I'm going to see it, I promise. I promise I'll see that one. But I had to see, I had to see um, Paul. Yeah, it was good. Uh, Jim Caviezel plays Luke. And just so you know, the, the Jim Caviezel is the same actor that played uh, Jesus years ago in Passion of the Christ. Now, the movie, The Apostle Paul, it is, it's very strong. It's very riveting. It's very moving. Um, it made me cry. So that's, that's good. But I tell you, man, if you really want your, if you want your world rocked. If you want, if you really want something deep, you need to Google Jim Caviezel's interviews right now. Like, he's he's got one that he's he's a Catholic. I like Catholics, so he's got one to a Catholic conference, a Catholic youth conference. That one just that blew me away. And then there's another one, another interview that he does with TBN. And then he's got another older interview that he did between uh, Passion and the Christ and where we're at right now. And so they're, they're all really good. If you want, uh, when we pass the offering baskets, uh, if you write down your email address, I'll send you the links to all, all three of those. Like, I was listening to one of his interviews with, actually both of them, they both made me cry. I'm like, oh my gosh. And here's the revelation that I had about, about Caviezel. Like, I mean, we're, we're, we're all saints. The Bible tells us that we're all saints. But as far as saints go, like, I think he's there. Like, there's, there's, a, there's an anointing on this man that's powerful. Like, he's saying the same words that we all say, but that carries so much power and authority in them. Like, there's something special about the guy, not just because he played Jesus, but he is 100% sold out for the gospel message, and he's not ashamed of it. He's not ashamed of it. Like, it ruined his career for a season. Um, uh, I don't know if you know the story, but Mel Gibson calls him up, and he says, Hey, Jim, um, uh, I I want you to play Jesus. And you know it's probably going to ruin your career for the rest of your life. What do you say? And so there's that. You know, there was that truth to it. Like Hollywood was going to, you know, blacklist him if he took that role. And he was called. He even talks about his calling. And he's in a movie theater. And God called him to be an actor. Interesting, huh? 
God called him to be an actor who was sold out for Jesus. And so he, he committed himself to never compromise on his call. And uh, it's just, it's, again, it's powerful. I'll send you the links. Um, I, was probably, I was more moved by his interviews than I was by the movie. So anyway, okay, so let's look at his biography. Let's look at Paul's biography. And you'll see a lot of the movie in it, and then you're going to see a lot of uh, just, you know, the, the whole idea of a calling. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. And this is Romans chapter 1, verse 1, 1 through 17, is basically, it's Paul's own little biography of who he is, who he says he is as a man, and what he says that he does as a ministry in his calling. And usually the first chapters, or the first verses of a chapter, they're the stuff that you, that you skim over, that you, you, you buzz by, that you, you just don't necessarily pay attention to. And so we're going to pay attention to the minor stuff. It's not going to be the meaty stuff that we're usually used to when we get into Romans, but this is the introduction, because I want to know more about the man, Paul. He is by far the most influential Christian that ever lived. I mean, Jesus is the most influential person that ever lived, but Paul's the most influential follower of Christ. And this is who he says he is. Verse 1. Uh, I'll, I'll read down to 6, and then I'll flesh that out a little bit. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who as to his human nature, was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his namesake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from all the Gentiles, into the obedience that comes from faith. And you are also among those who are called to belong to Jesus. So he's writing this to the Romans before he gets there. And again, like, I read that. That probably, like, like just bounced right off the top of your head. What does it mean? Okay, but let's talk about the man. Let's say let's, the very few sentences, verses 1, 2, and 3. Let's, like, look at what he says about himself. He says, of course, he introduces himself, Paul, and this is important. He says that he is what? He is a servant. My NIV says servant. Your King James might say slave or bond servant. Anybody else have any harsher, stronger language than servant in your Bibles? You might. But the idea, and this is something that we talked about last week, and he says that I am a servant. I am a slave to Jesus. And what we don't necessarily get is that Paul was a freed man. And he was probably the closest thing to an American that we could possibly get because he was a Roman. And so he, he didn't have to call himself a slave, but he's been around human nature long enough to know that you will be a slave to something. We are the freest people this world has ever seen. But if we're not careful, if we don't submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ, we will become a slave to something. It is. It could be media. It could be the American dream. I know that sounds like blasphemy, but that's truth. We can be a slave to 
uh, materialism. We could be a slave to politics. You pick it. We can become a slave to it. Or education. We can even become a slave to our own self-help. You know, me looking at me, trying to figure out how to be the better me. And I preach this stuff. I want you to be the best you that you could possibly be under the lordship of Jesus Christ, though. So there's, there's the difference. He's got a better plan for your life than you or Oprah could possibly imagine. So let's just pick his plan. But here's the unfortunate truth. This is what we don't like as Americans. It requires us to serve Christ. And again, you're going you're gonna to serve somebody or you're going to serve something. The best and purest form of freedom takes place when we submit ourselves and we serve Jesus Christ. And Paul realizes that. So first he says, I am a servant. Although I'm a born and freed man and I'm a Jew and I'm a Roman, uh, I'm a servant of Christ. Called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Okay, so now he gets a little more detailed in who he is and what he does. He says, you ready? He says that he is what? What is he? He's called. This is important. This is so important. He's called. If you have ever felt a divine tug on your soul, I've got some good news for you. You have been called. That calling actually comes with a price, comes with a cost. God is calling you into service for him. It's a big deal. It's actually an exciting deal. In our culture, we don't quite get this. This is probably why the, the church in America falters a little bit. It's because um, we like to do good. Most of us really like to do good. Like even the secular groups, they do good. They, they serve, you know, the secular groups, the people that don't necessarily have a faith or they're agnostic or maybe they're full-blown atheists, they, they like to do good stuff. They can, they can be good without God. You ever heard this term, good without God? Uh, my, I'm not quite sure where we are in our relationship right now, but at one time he was my friend, uh, one of the professors over here at Pitzer, and he's, he's the authority on secular humanism. He actually wrote the book, Good Without God. And so whenever he teaches world religions, I get to represent all evangelical Christianity in his class. Um, he hasn't invited me back lately, so I'm a little sad. I think I might have pushed the envelope a little too much last time. So um, this whole polarization right now between the secular world and the religious world has messed up my evangelistic opportunities, unfortunately. I, I don't have the same relationships I did with the world because there's just like you're either, you're either for us or against us, and it's, and it's on both sides. So I don't know what to do. I just need to love better, I guess. Anyway. Um, the secular people like to serve. They like to volunteer. Why? Why do, they, why do they do Habitat for Humanity? Why do they do Blue Cross? Why do they go to the soup kitchens? Why do they do it? It's because it makes them feel good, right? It's just in our human nature. Even though, you know, the Bible says that we're, you know, desperately wicked, we still like to do good things. Even the worst of us like to do good things. We get that little warm fuzzy, right? It is, there's a reason why volunteer organizations thrive and why they do, do good work. But here's the, here's the rub. Look, I, I'm, I'm an unashamedly, I will beg for volunteers all day long. 
right? Because we got a mission to do in this church. We got a calling. We got we to get stuff done. So I need some volunteers. But let me tell you something. There's a difference between a volunteer and somebody that's called. Volunteers burn out. Like volunteers only do it because they want to feel good. People that are called do it because they're called. And so we want Sunday school teachers that are called and not volunteers. You're going to get an amen on that. Like people that serve in our food bank, all of them are called. They're there every Sunday. And I know that they get themselves out of bed early in the morning, and there's days when they don't want to do it. They want to, got to see? They don't want to do it. They want to sleep in, right? They want to, they, they want to watch cartoons. Do we watch cartoons? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I don't think they have, they don't have good cartoons anymore. Oh, weird cartoons these days. Anyway. But people that are called, they do it, whether they feel like it or not. So Paul is called. One of the amazing things about this church, you haven't been around long enough, I have seen it time and time again, where... Um, There's a look on somebody's face where either uh, we, we try not to burn people out or maybe they're on the verge of burnout or they just don't want to do it or things aren't going the way they thought they would go. And I see it. There's this, this moment. It's like, well, you know what? I just need to do the right thing. And I need to stick to my ministry. I need to stick to this group. I need to stick with this church. And I just need to do the right thing. Maybe I'm offended, maybe I'm hurt, maybe I'm confused, maybe I'm whatever. Like, I don't have peace to peace out, right? And they just do the right thing. I've seen it time and time again. It's a huge character uh, quality that we value in this church. And so Paul is saying, I am called. He didn't say, I am volunteering. Do you see, do you see the difference? He didn't say, I'm volunteering. He said, I am called. I'm in this to win this. And volunteers that don't show up, they're just volunteers that don't show up. People that are called that don't show up, guess what they are? They're AWOL. And anybody that's been in the military knows what happens when, when, when you go AWOL. Things don't go well, do they, guys? <laughs> no, they don't, right? And so Paul's saying, no, I am called. And then he says something very interesting. He says, I'm called to be a what? What's he called to be? And this is an apostle. I'm called to be an apostle. And so he is specialized. He knows himself well enough. He knows what his giftings are. He knows what his specific spiritual gift is. Do you know what your, speci- what your spiritual gift is? Paul does. He knows what his is. He says, no, I'm, I'm called to be an apostle. And, I'm, and he doesn't really boast much about himself, but let's just go ahead and boast on Paul. He's really, really good at being an apostle. Like, he starts churches all over the place. The definite, basically, the short definition of an apostle is a spiritual entrepreneur. It's somebody that sees something that doesn't exist. It's divinely inspired, and they create something out of nothing. Just like God. 
God created something out of nothing. And so Paul's calling is to create communities where they didn't once exist. And these people that he's ministering to, they're not Jews. They're Greeks and Romans, or they're called Gentiles. Uh, it's called, sometimes they're called barbarians. They, he's, he has them in mind. And so he says, no, I'm, I'm a servant, I'm a slave, I know who I am, I know what I can do, and I know that I've been called. We at this church, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. I get the mic. I wear the jacket. I'm on the stage, but guess what? You guys have the same responsibility as I do in spreading the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You have all been called. Unfortunately, here's the, here's the truth. If you stepped across that line of faith, if you did the full, well, I guess you can be sprinkled. I don't care. It doesn't matter. If you've been baptized and if you declared publicly, I don't know what else to say. It's very clear that you've been called. So what's your ministry? Priesthood. Pastors and pastorettes. Yeah, we'll, we'll give you that title in this church. I know some churches don't, but we do. I don't, I don't, whatever, we'll get into that. So Paul's called into a, like his calling, his specific calling is an apostleship into reaching a group of people that don't know the gospel message and there's a universal tinge to it. There is, it's for the whole world, sharing this gospel message for the whole world. One of the things that we don't necessarily get when we read the gospels is that these people were so diverse. They were so diverse ethnically in their belief systems and their worldviews and their values. And, and Paul is an absolute master at going into those situations, introducing who Jesus is, and people get it. He says, when I'm around Jews, I become a Jew. When I'm around Romans, I become a Roman. When I'm around Greeks and Macedonians, I become those guys. He knows how to speak to people. He's, got, he's gifted in that way. Um, some of the commentators and some of the scholars say that you know, the, the early church was just basically another expression of Judaism, and I just don't think that that's true. I don't necessarily agree with those guys because Paul basically completely, ready for this? I don't think most of us can do this. He abandons his culture. Because the gospel message is more important than his culture. I don't know if we necessarily agree with that in our country these days. Are you an American first or are you a Christian second? There is a higher level. There is a, there is a universal brotherhood and sisterhood of what we have been called into. Whenever I, it's been way too long. I need to get on the plane. But whenever I travel to foreign countries, and, you know, you just, it's a little bit awkward, right? Because you don't know the culture, you don't know the language, you don't know the people. But I've learned real quick, you start to have a conversation about Jesus, and everything changes. All the stuff that we don't have in common really doesn't matter anymore because what we do have in common is, is Jesus. And so I can have communion with a woman in poverty in India who doesn't speak my language where we were completely separated and all of a sudden we have a conversation about Jesus and we're all of a sudden brother and sister. It's the weirdest experience and I want to encourage everybody to have it. But that's just kind of how he works. That's how this message of the gospel of grace works. All right, let's keep on going. <clears throat> then he talks about 
verse 2, the gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, ready for this, as to his human nature, right, was a descendant of David. So there's some humanness going on. And who was through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be what? To be the son of God. Okay, this is going to, you're not going to get this because I don't get this because it doesn't make rational sense. We're never going to understand it this side of heaven. But what Paul is telling us here is, first of all, he's saying everything that the Old Testament prophets said, everything from Genesis 1 until the very words that he's writing right now, they're all Holy Scripture. They're, also, they're, they're precious. They're divinely inspired. And they all point to Jesus. Genesis 1 points to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word spoke, and God spoke creation into existence. We get, that, we get a snapshot of the Trinity right there in Genesis 1. It's absolutely amazing. Read it. If you pay attention, you'll see Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit right there. Moses, if you watch what he does, if you filter out his mistakes, you see him act and point to Jesus. In a sense, Moses preaches the gospel. He actually lives it out in a, in a type. Moses is a type of Christ. He led the, the slaves out of Egypt just like Jesus is leading us out of our slavery, out of our attachment to a material world or a broken world or a dysfunctional world or whatever world or whatever pain you're in. You might be a slave to it. Jesus is leading you out just like Moses led the, his children out. But here's the thing. Jesus is a way better Moses. Jesus is a way better Abraham. Abraham was the man of faith. (laughs) Abraham was a man of faith, and it was credited to him as righteousness, as right doing. He birthed the nation of Israel who was going to be the savior of the world. God's people were going to save the world. That's the initial plan, right? That's That's what the narrative tells us. But Jesus is a way better Abraham. Even when Abraham was acting like Jesus, Abraham said some lies, just like you did and I did, right? And Jesus, you ready for this one? Jesus is a way better children of God. He's way better than the people of Israel. Where they failed, Jesus picked it up and was successful. He is way better. Now here's the part that will hurt your head a little bit. Because he says... Regarding his son, as to his human nature, and he's a descendant of David. We won't get into the genealogies because they're confusing. But basically what he's saying is Jesus was not a ghost. He's not some angel or saint or spiritual thing that came out of heaven. He is 100% fully man. And then he goes on to say he is the son of God. Shorthand, he's saying he's 100% God in the flesh. How can you have how can you be 100% man and 100% God at the same time? I don't know. But that's that's what Paul is communicating to us. He is 100% God, 100% man. We need to put our faith and our trust in him. And all scriptures point to him. 
All right, let's go down to verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved and called to be saints. So before Paul even meets these people, he's seeing something in them. He's seeing a future for them, and he calls them saints. First, I thank my God, Jesus Christ, excuse me, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers and at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, by the the way may be opened for me to come to you. So he wants to get to these sweet people. They have a reputation. It's not the same reputation that the Corinthians have, but they've got a really good reputation. Their reputation is what? Did you catch it? What's their reputation? What are they famous for? Is this church famous for uh, their rock star preacher? Is this church famous for their worship ministry? Is this church famous for putting on great conferences? Is this church famous for their political views? Is this church famous for their awesome Easter egg hunt like we are? Is this church famous for putting on a living nativity? <laughs> he says something very specific. This church, you guys are known around the world, not for your production value, not for your teaching skills, not for your amazing worship music. No, you are known around the world for your faith. Paul fleshes this idea out in some other letters, too. He basically boils it down to two things. The things that the church of Jesus Christ should be known for should be famous for, beg. People should be bragging upon these things. It's really only two things. It's faith and love. And of course, we, we heard the famous, there's, you know, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. We've heard that verse before. But when he's talking about the church, he says, no, you will be known, and Jesus talks and tells us this too, you will be known for the love that you have, what? For one another. So Paul really hits this home in this next sentence. He says, no, I, I'm coming to you. And I'm going to impart into you, he says, some spiritual gifts. That's a little bit weird. They don't have time to get into that one. But he says, I'm coming, I'm, going to, I'm coming to give you something. I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to at least, I, I, I have enough faith that I'm going to get to you guys. And we're going to hang out face to face. Basically, Paul is sending them an email with his outline. He's coming to speak. And so they get the rough draft of what he's going to talk about. He said, but man, I am so impressed because your reputation around the world is that you're people of faith. Now, from the movie, you'll learn that Rome was the belly of the beast. It was not a good place to be a Christian. There was so much tension. There was so much opposition to declaring your faith publicly. The movie, the Apostle Paul, is very, again, it's very... You know, it, it's got a lot of really good, strong points. But what pushed me over the top and what made me cry were the martyrs. That one got me. And I'm like a man. I don't cry. But that one got me. The martyrs got me. And what we know that will eventually happen to this congregation that he is saying, you guys are amazing because you're, you're people of faith. Eventually what's going to happen to this group of people is that they become play toys for lions. 
Nero has this crazy, the Emperor Nero, uh, ironically, his, if, you, if you mathematically spell out his name in Hebrew, it comes out to 666, by the way. It's kind of ironic, right? But anyway, uh, Nero has this wild party, burns down half the city, and so he needs a scapegoat, and he blames the Christians. And then he starts making them the part of the games. You guys see Gladiator? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. So, you know, they get, they get eaten by lions. They get chased around by leopards. They get chopped up by gladiators. It's all fun and games. It's, it's Roman entertainment. So just think of the Super Bowl, except people actually die. And they loved it. The Romans ate this stuff up. That's how dark and evil this city was. They loved to see people mauled and murdered and chopped up. They had this bloodlust that just wasn't, it was dark. And to make matters worse, what Nero did is, well, I don't know, this isn't probably accurate, but this is the way that comes through popular history, is that he was playing the violin in his garden as uh, they used Christians to light up his garden. They used them as torches, as candles. And this is what we know in, from church history. That's how bad it was. And these people went to their grave voluntarily, facing torture and torment, why? Because they're famous for their faith. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. All right. I don't need my notes anyway. Okay, verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to make you strong. That is, that you may and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I, don't, I do not want to be, you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have a harvest among the other Gentiles. Okay, so what he's saying is, he said, I need to come to you. I'm going to impart some gifts into you. We don't know what those are. It's at least teaching. It's at least the spiritual gift of teaching. But it could be other things. And he says, and then you're going to give something to me as well. So there's a mutual ministry going on. There's a give and take here. And this is, and again, what are they doing? They're, 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 they have this reputation of being faith, faithful, and the, 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 their, their strength is their faith. And chances are it is love, too, but Paul quite hasn't seen it yet because he hasn't been there yet, or at least they're not quite known for love yet, but other churches will be. And the ones, the churches that grow, the ones that change the world, those are, the, again, those are the two characteristics. And so we're going to pause right now, and we're going to just... Probably one of the hardest things in church life is actually liking each other. It's getting along. And, but this is what God's calling us to do. He wants, like, again, faith is, again, it's a big mystery, right? But it's something that you get. It's a gift. It's something that you grow in. It's something that you have to develop. It's as if it's a muscle. And I don't know if you caught this, but what Paul is doing is he's encouraging their faith. He's saying, good job, you guys. You guys are known around the world for your faith. And this is what we need to do in the congregation is we need to, we need to open up our eyes. Not, it's not all about us, right? Open up your eyes and see the faith in other people. 
you see what they're doing, you recognize it, you encourage it, and you, you celebrate the faith in other people. And likewise, the one another, the loving of one another, we will be known, the world will know us by the love that we have for one another. So we've actually got to love each other before we can love the world. It's just, it has to be done. Okay, I'm going to tell this story. I've told it before, so if you've been around, sorry, you're going to hear it again. But uh, if you're new to this church, I'll just let the cat out of the bag. We're, I, we have a charismatic theology. We believe that all the gifts are for, are for today, absolutely all of them. Might even do a series on the charismata or the, the, the sign gifts uh, coming up. We'll see. How many want me to do a series on the sign gifts? All right, we'll, we'll work on it. Um, we're charismatic. And, you know, just as Marina led a prayer time for us, at, you know, in the middle of worship, if you have a prayer need, uh, we, 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 prayed for the, we pray for the sick almost every single Sunday unless we're doing something special like Easter. You know, it's, just, it's a value that we have. Like, we, we were, we're intentional about praying for people, mm-hmm. for seeing God move and heal, both not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. We're committed to it. It's what we do. It's in our DNA. And years ago, I think it was some eight years ago, uh, I was uh, praying for people up in the front, and it's just like somebody coughed on me. And I was like, oh, God. And it's just like, coughed on me. I get sick. He's like, man, we haven't seen a miracle in it seems like years. Of course, I'm like the master of hyperbole. Probably it wasn't a year. God's probably doing miracles, and I just don't see them, right? Right? Do you know that? You know that God's living and active, and he's like doing miracles in our lives, but the problem isn't necessarily God. The problem is our perception. And so I'm just like, oh, God, this is miserable. And I mean like that, oh, God, in a good way. Like, oh, God, this is miserable. Like, I didn't sign up for this. Like, I signed up for the fireworks. I signed up for the, the razzmatazz. I want to see people healed. What, why aren't you moving? God? This is miserable. People are coughing on me, getting sick. I don't want to do this anymore. This is, I didn't sign up for this. And so the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He says, you know, I just you know, let's get outside of your environment. Go to, go, go to the training thing. So I signed myself. Went, went, out, you know, went eight-hour drive to go to this healing conference. I'm sitting in this healing conference with all these strangers. I went by myself, and um, I'm like, all right, these people are sweet. They're, they're kind of weird, but all right, let's see what you got, God. I can do this. And so I'm going through this material, and I'm just like reading the material, listening to the guy speak, and then it dawns. I'm like, oh, my gosh. The reason why this material looks familiar it's because it is familiar. This is all John Wimber's material. They just ripped it off. And you can do that, by the way, in the kingdom of heaven. You can rip off stuff. Unless you're a worship leader, you can't rip off music for some reason. You get sued. In the, in, in, it's true. I don't know why that works. But you can, you can rip off sermons. You can rip off the gospel. That's completely legitimate. And so that's what they did. And that, that's what they should have done. And the reason why I look familiar to me is because I grew up around John Wimber. He actually pastored this church for a season. And so I'm actually reading this material. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've, not only do I not know this, I have taught this. In fact, I could probably teach it better than that guy up there. What am I doing here? 
This isn't any knowledge that I don't already possess. Like me and my bad attitude, I'm sitting at this conference knowing that I'm wasting my time. And this is Holy Spirit's like, you just need to be receptive. You just need to be open. So I do this whole thing. Like, oh, yeah, I can fill this one in before you can say anything, right? And, and then they go after it. And they go after prayer. They go after healing. I don't think I needed anything, but I received prayer anyway. And then it dawned on me. Oh my gosh, all these strange people, they love me. They have no idea who I am. They have no idea what I do. They are here within their, like, they're not getting paid for this conference. They're here because they have been called to healing ministry. And this is, Josh, this is what it feels like when you're loved. And so if you quit having a bad attitude about church, and if you start loving people, then I'm going to be able to move again. Yeah? That's all I got from a $400 conference. (laughs) That one simple thing. If you want me to move in your life, if you, want, if you want to make Jesus famous throughout the world, you need to begin to develop your heart to love people. And here's the deal. It, it, it's a decision first. It's not an emotion. And so I said, okay, Lord, I choose to love people. And you have to do this. You have to do this with your spouse. You have to do this with your kids. You have to do this with whoever you're dating. Because chances are, you probably hate their stinking guts right now. And you have to choose before the emotions are there. You have to choose to love them. Because love is not an emotion. Forget about what the media tells you. Forget about what the rock star tells you. Love is a choice. It's an unconditional choice. And we saw God move. We saw the miraculous introduced back into our congregation because we chose to love unconditionally. And that's what I received. I received unconditional love. And this is the same love that God has for us. Probably the biggest part for us charismatics is we were led around by our feelings and we think it's the Holy Spirit. And it's not. It's our feelings. We are not feelers as much as we want to think that our intuition is the Spirit of God. It's not. We're not feelers. We're what? We are believers. And believers do the right thing. People who are called do the right thing whether they feel like it or not. That's just what we do. And so that's what I learned. Wasn't the one of nothering. Okay, now let's get into the next part, and we'll wrap it up. In verse 14, we have the three I am statements from Paul. These are really important, the three I am's. First of all, he says in verse 14, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager. Let me stop there. Okay, so he says, first of all, I am. That's a powerful statement. Like, again, for us, right over the top of our heads. But for Paul to, say, to even use that word, I am. Who else used it? Jesus did. Jesus said the ultimate I am that, that you know, could have got him killed right then and there. 
They, you know, his critics, don't be a critic, folks. You don't want to be a critic. It's not going to get you anywhere. But his critics said, you know, who do you, are? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're a prophet? You know, how can you possibly have known Abraham? And then he makes this statement. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And somebody else said that very powerful statement. It was God himself. God is, says that I am. Who, you know, Moses says, who do, I, who, do I, who do I tell your children? Who do I say that you are? And God said one very simple thing. He said, say that I am. And so for Jesus to say, before Abraham was, I am, he's saying, I am God in the flesh, right here and there. And for them, that was blasphemy. That's why they picked up rocks, because they were going to try and kill him. Not because he's trying to say something about Abraham. It's because Jesus declared right then and there that he was God in the flesh. So Paul makes a three powerful I am statements. He says, I am obligated to tell the gospel message to the Greeks and the non-Greeks. He knows his ministry to the wise and to the foolish. Again, Paul is able to go into any situation, any environment, and adapt himself to what people are doing. Here's what you need to get. If anybody knows the trap of religion, the trap of systematic uh, faith, the trap of earning your way to heaven... It's Paul. What he is not saying is, I have to earn my way into God's graces. I have to make God happy. I have to do these things in order to get to heaven. Paul, he's not saying this. It's because of his experience on Damascus Road, because he spent three years in Arabia receiving revelation, probably directly from Jesus himself, because he gets the gospel message of grace, he is able to say, I am obligated to serve God the believers and the non-believers, I am obligated to fulfill my calling because of what Jesus did for me. My obligation isn't going to get me any karma spiritual points. My obligation, I'm doing it because I'm captivated by what Jesus did for me. Do you guys get that? I, I am obligated to preach. I love doing this, folks. I really do. I could do this all day long but I am obligated to preach because of what Jesus did for me. That's my obligation. So whenever I feel like I don't want to do it, I'm like, wait a minute, this is this the cross. Why wouldn't I not do it? Do you see how powerful this, this is? The obligation. And he says, here's the second I am. That is why... I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you at Rome. Okay, so you know what he's doing? I do this often too, and you do it too. This is why I want to encourage you to teach Sunday school, to start a home group, to do a Bible study, to figure out what your calling is, to figure out what your ministry is. I want to encourage you to share your faith because like, I'm going to dump, like I dumped some knowledge on you, you are going to learn more about God, more about yourself when you actually plug in and tap into your ministry. When you actually teach, you'll learn more. Like you're going to forget everything I say with about an hour from now. But if you teach this stuff, oh, it gets into your soul in a deep way. So figure out where you can teach. Get some guys around you and teach the gospel message. Get some gals around you and teach the gospel. Do it at work. Do it at school. He says, I, I am eager. So this is what he's doing. He's actually encouraging himself. He's, speaking, he's preaching to himself. Did you catch that? I, 
do you know Paul's story? Like, the dude's beaten, he's whipped, he's shipwrecked, he's poisoned, he's snake bit. Like, he's had all these horrible things happen to him. He, chances are his wife left him because he was a Jewish rabbi. He's got to be married to be a Jewish rabbi. That might, they think that that might have been his thorn in his side when his wife left him. <laughs> I don't know. Speculation. And he says, I am eager to continue to do this. He's speaking life into himself. We've got to get this. Like, when, we're, when we don't feel eager, what do you do? All right, you, you declare with your mouth, I'm eager. Like, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to choose to be eager. And Paul's saying it. He's, he's saying, I am this. Even though my circumstances and my reality don't demonstrate this, no, I am this. I, like... No, I feel like uh, everybody owes me everything and God owes me stuff because I was good and God owes me stuff because I gave a lot of money and God owes me stuff because I served a lot. God owes me stuff because I did. No, I am obligated because of what Jesus did for me. I am excited about the gospel. Yeah? So he's speaking life into his own soul. And he's encouraging others at the same point. Okay, here's the last point, the last I am. This one's tough. This one's fun. This one will mess with you. Verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of whom? The salvation of everyone who believes. Isn't that powerful? Now, this might be easier for us older folks because we really don't care what people think about us anymore, right? You just don't care. But when you're in high school, you do care. You get that social pressure, and it's really easy. It's like probably one of the hardest traps to fall into is becoming, being ashamed of being a Christian or being, having that title, especially nowadays. Probably way more hard for young people to deal with, with the identity of, of being a Christian now than, than when you know, we were in school because there's so much social pressure and stigma to the name Christian. Why? Because we're narrow-minded. Because we're, you know, all these horrible things that, that they associate us with being Christians. And we do get, and I, you, guys, you guys feel this more than, than I do or anybody on staff because we're, you know, we're in our little, you know, ivory tower here, our little bubble here. And so we don't, like, we don't have to deal with a boss that's not a believer. We don't have to go to a school where, it's where the administration are, are agnostic or atheist. Like, we don't have to deal with that pressure. So my heart breaks for people that really struggle with this because, frankly, there's, there is low-grade persecution going on in our country. It's, I know, it's hard. Some of you have probably been passed over for a job or you lost a sale or maybe you lost a job for doing the right thing. There's, there's a number of reasons, a number of ways that people can persecute us. Heaven forbid if you've ever been persecuted on Facebook. <laughs> All right? That one's not legitimate. Just like, yeah. But do you see what, what we're up against? The world hates Jesus. It does. I'm not talking about the globe and nature and all that. No, the, the system hates Jesus because the system wants to control and manipulate and, and, and get us into a slavery mindset. The, the, the system wants to control us. Jesus wants to set us free, but we have to submit to him. 
And so the system hates Jesus. It is offended at the cross. There is a huge offense that goes on towards the cross. And in our soul, we have to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A few months ago, we had this wild-eyed missionary guy, Will Hart, speak at our church. The guy was like off the charts, excited. He went two hours. So if you're looking at your watch right now, remember a couple of months ago, the dude went two hours. Afterwards, we're having lunch. You know, you guys remember this. And he's like, I just hope someday I get martyred. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. I just hope God, I hope I get martyred. I hope I die for Jesus someday. Like, what's the matter with you? Like, what kind of crazy person gets excited about the concept of being martyred? Like, what is, what's the matter with you? And it was in, in you know what? Like, they get messed with me, folks. Because it's like, oh, Jesus. My God, would I die for you? Like, we suffer this low-grade persecution. It's really not that bad. Would I die for you? Like, it's not going to happen in our country. At least not for another three years. But it's not going to happen in our country. Um, no one's going to kill you for your faith. They're going to ridicule you. They're going to mock you. They're going to say you're ignorant. They're going to say you're narrow-minded. You're a bigot. You're a sexist. You're whatever. You're racist. All right. you, you know, it's out there. They're going to figure out what's wrong with you. But they're not going to kill you. But the reality in the world, this is why we need to get outside our myopic bubble, why we need to have a universal perspective of the brotherhood and sisterhood of our faith, of our Christian faith, the, the, the reality in our macro world is that even though that we are the largest religion in the world, Christians are also the most persecuted group on the planet to date. By far. Uh, I did some research. I cross-checked it. These are legitimate numbers. You can Google it and research it yourself. But they estimate 90,000 Christians are martyred each year in our world, 90,000. And they're saying that that's a conservative number. They are killed for their faith. They're killed for sharing the gospel. They're killed for going to church and having this freedom of expression and worship that we have. So basically, as long as I have been ministering, over a million of my brothers and sisters have died for their faith. Isn't that a sobering thought to think about? And so I guess that begs the question, are you ashamed of the gospel? Would you die for either your faith or would you, I mean, how many people are, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm guilty of this, but like people ask you, so what do, you, or, do you have a faith? I'm like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Maybe you're strong enough to say that, but then you clarify it. But I'm not one of those Christians. Have you ever done that? I've done it. I've done it with us. Yeah, I'm a pastor, but we're not one of those types of churches. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Well, those types of churches, what is that supposed to mean? I don't know. 
but you feel like you have to clarify that like you're a normal one or you're a good one or you're not a crazy one or you're not a bigoted one or whatever. We, 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 have, we, we, we have to make sure we have to clarify. But in reality, like, there's, like maybe there's a little bit of shame inside of, of being who we are. No, we need to be confident in who we are. We need to enter into his courts with confidence and, and know that he's worth it, that Jesus is worth it. He's, he's worth the obligation. He's worth the sacrifice. He's worth serving. He's worth slaving for. He's even worth dying for. Just ask Paul. Paul gets his head chopped off at the end, and he's glad for it. What? All right, let me get the band to come up the front and the ushers. God, right now, we just thank you so much for giving us your son, for making a way. And we even thank you for our rights for free speech in this country, where I can actually preach the gospel and not have to worry about sneaking out the back door. God, we, we are so grateful for what you've done for us. And God, at times it might be, it might seem heavy, it might be, it might seem too much. We're even we're thankful for the calling that you've placed in our lives. And may we just change from our consumer mentality where we just want to volunteer so we get the warm fuzzy. May we change our hearts to where we're we're gonna serve because we've been called. God, right now, I just pray you bless this church and bless the vision that you have for this church. May we be good stewards of everything that you've provided. And may we, be, may we not only be famous for our living nativity in this community, may we not only be famous for our Easter egg hunt and our cute little bunnies, but more importantly, God, may we be famous. May we be known for our faith. May we be known and acknowledged for our love for one another. I pray right now that you just grow us in that. And so God, right now, I just strengthen our souls. And as right now, as we're just pressing into the presence of God, the sweet presence of God, I just want to encourage you. In your mind, just pray for the person next to you. Say, God, how do I encourage their faith? Pray for the person behind you. Say, God, how do I, how do I love them better? How, what do they need? Pray for the person to your right and to your left. And say, God, how do I encourage them? What, do I, what life can I speak into their, into their life right now to make them better? Not to make me better, but make them better, God. What do they need to hear to be strengthened? What spiritual gifts can I impart into them at this moment? God, make us that beautiful community. A community like the ancients, where they lived together, they loved, they ate, they shared, they fellowshiped. 
they even died together. Make us, a, make us a community like that. Pray you bless this offering to its full extent. In your name, amen. Go ahead and stand with us. We're going to close in.